Good food, great times, the home of the Coaches Show. Red Hawks head coach Brad Korn is here. How are things, Coach? Not bad, not bad. Uh, always could be better. I know that's just kind of an ancillary, generic right. greeting, but, uh, you know, we, we care about what's going on. Yeah, always always could be uh, better with wins and, and being undefeated, but uh, that's life. That's college basketball, especially on the road. So, um, But, again, feel we're in a good spot, honestly. I know the record doesn't reflect that, but in the way that we played, especially the way that we played Saturday, Again, we've talked about it at length there, just being at a uh, just a non-conference scheduling disadvantage this year, a complete backfire. Fort Wayne, best start in school history. Um, and then us starting four sophomores. and um, You can start to see it, though, and I feel good about where our guys' headspace is at and uh, the way that we competed on Saturday. You know, uh, some of the other teams on your schedule, uh, after the win over Liberty, on the road, I've got to think Grand Canyon, who already they're in the mid-major top 25. But I've got to think that Grand Canyon's going to get some top 25 votes this week. In fact, uh, I'll have to check the poll. They may already be getting top 25 votes. That was a big win for them at Liberty. I think they were down 23-6 to to start the game, and they roared back to win that game. Just one of the other teams on your schedule. Yeah, and I don't know. Uh, Liberty, I think they had one. I forget what it was. Maybe 20 straight or 19 straight. Non-conference yeah, 19-game home, home court winning streak, right. So, yeah, it's, um, the ironic thing is we actually have a vote. In the, in, the, in the coaches poll so we we get a vote and um, i was talking with coach strong we're putting the vote together this morning because uh, we have to send it in before 11 a.m and i said all right did you did we rank a grand canyon this week because i think that they are very uh, that win their win at home against san diego state who was ranked at the time that they beat them at home first top 25 win in their program's history so uh, they're making some moves and they're a very very good deep talented team and i really believe they continue this on throughout the season uh, they get the right matchup. They could be a potential Sweet 16 team. I really feel that way. You know, you look at uh, the head coaches in their family. Homer Drew, of course, uh, the patriarch uh, at Valparaiso. Uh, David Haas, a longtime uh, voice at the Show Me Center, uh, was talking about, hey, how about uh, if Scott Drew and Bryce Drew matched up against each other in the NCAA tournament? We have seen... The selection committee, when they put the brackets together, they look at storylines, yeah. and that might be a storyline that we see come March. Yeah, and actually, go, even going back a year ago, to your point, Eric, I thought that we were going to get matched up in Purdue's uh, bracket. Yeah, just with, I played there, actually, the head coach at Corpus Christi last year, Steve Lutz, who's now at Western Kentucky. He was an assistant for Coach Painter before he went to Corpus Christi. So it's like you have here you have one of his assistants, you have one of his players. I, for, I for sure thought if we were 16 playing in Dayton, we were going to be paired up with Purdue uh, as the next game. But ultimately that didn't happen. But they do love those They do love those storylines. I know when I was at Kansas State, we were in 8-9, and we played Creighton in the 8-9 game. And Creighton's best player was the kid that was at K-State two years before he transferred to Creighton. Ah. So they they're always finding those always finding those storylines. They can say what they want, but I really feel that they they do that on um, purpose. But um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of any other kind of storylines that in, in my career that I've seen. Or, um, but that would be something because they're both. I really think both are going to have a chance to be there. Uh, especially a long way to go still in college basketball, obviously. But when you know Baylor's going to be there for sure, it's just a matter of Grand Canyon can put enough wins and keep stringing enough wins together to to make that a reality. You know, Bryce Drew is putting together a pretty good resume so far. Yeah, they. I mean, you went at Liberty, and I know Liberty wasn't ranked, and Liberty may not be the well, huge seven basketball. Well, they're 7-2. They were 7-2. That is, that is a heck of a win. Um, 
and they play people too. I mean, Liberty beat Mizzou two years ago, pretty bad at their place. Um, so they're, they're Coach McKay does a terrific job over there. All their sports programs have really kind of taken off. Football program has been ranked in the top 25 here in the last couple of years. So athletics has really taken off over there. And, again, it may not be this huge name that the common college basketball fan doesn't know, but people inside college basketball know that Liberty is a very formidable program and an NCAA tournament team, quite honestly, because they're going to be right there in the mix. I don't even know what league they're in anymore, uh, but they were pretty much a, a perennial NCAA tournament team year in, year out. So you mentioned Coach Painter, obviously your ties to him with uh, SIU. Did you ever coach against him at, at, at K-State? Uh, Purdue? Yeah. No. Nope. Actually, the year that uh, so K-State played Purdue in Maui, in uh, the Maui Invitational. Uh, but that was one you of those years. SIU? I, I was actually at Missouri State. Oh, Missouri State. Okay. So it was either a year or two after I left K-State to go to Missouri State. That's when they met up in uh, Maui, and Coach Weber and K-State beat Purdue and, and Coach Painter. So, yeah, I've never never worked with Coach Painter, and I've never coached against Coach Painter. I've only played, uh, and he was the one that recruited me out of high school. So, um yeah, I got, got a connection to those guys, obviously, but um, never, I've never worked with um, or gone up against Coach Painter. So uh, when your team put together 80 points on the road against Purdue-Fort Wayne, you built a nine-point first-half lead. Uh, they closed the first half on a 9-2 to run. They took their first lead of the game at halftime, 41-39. Uh, you battled in the second half, but uh, you finished shooting the basketball on the road against a team that's 10-1. and you shoot 51% from the field, and you shoot 78% from the free throw line. You out-rebound Purdue-Fort Wayne. Uh, moral victories are not something that you get excited about. We understand that. But what were your thoughts on the improvement of your team? What were you thinking about on that six-and-a-half-hour bus ride? We got back uh, almost at 4 a.m. Uh, what were your thoughts when you were breaking it down because coaches cannot not break down the game after a a basketball game yeah you're uh, of course frustrated after the game i mean and just you sit a couple of seats behind me you probably i was hitting the seat and punching the window and just going back and watching it on the on the ipad and just um so of course you're just your initial reaction and your emotion is that you're angry that you lost of course uh, but then you go back like you said dissect it and put your thinking cap on and it's you know we, we did a lot of good things offensively uh, we missed a lot of shots around the rim that I think could even stretch that to a 12-point halftime lead or an 8-point halftime lead. Um, but we didn't. Uh, we were up nine with five minutes to go, and we didn't close the half. And we, that's something going into that game we talked about. How you have to – they are, they have the record that they have, and they've beat real teams and good opponents because they play a 40-minute basketball game. They don't really – they're not out there beating themselves. They have really good dynamic downhill drivers. And um, we didn't play a 40-minute – game we we played a, a good game but we didn't play a 40 minute game and those little five minute stretches can can be the difference so again instead of being up eight being up six and a half we're down two and it doesn't seem like a big deal but it, it ends up being in the totality of a game of a 40 minute basketball game it is came back out to start the second half took the lead we were up it was a tie game at the first media of the second half so we were up two to start the second half so felt good about where we were at we just we couldn't sustain it and then again we hit another little stretch there in that second half where shots weren't falling, we turned it over. and You went four minutes, 45 seconds without a score. You had taken the yeah. lead, they hit a three, and you went 445 without scoring. As a coach, 
what's going through your mind when you run into a stretch like that? Are you thinking timeout? Are you thinking, okay, we gotta we gotta run a particular play just to get a bucket? You know, what what kind of things are you thinking about on the sideline when you go through a stretch like that? Yeah, a couple times, especially when uh, a guy like Rob Martin was playing so well, and so you're thinking, all right, let's and the foul situation. You think it's going to balance out at some point. So in a couple of those situations, I might have play called a little too much, uh, but just uh, thinking, just thinking. I, one, I know one time in particular, we tried to get Rob on a little bit of an ice, so maybe pick up a hand check because uh, the fouls were lopsided. And it's just human nature. You're thinking you're going to get some of those hand checks to go back your way. And Rob had been playing well, and he's fast, and so. Uh, we've got certain plays for that. So we tried that, and then I tried to get Adam Larson going. He had hit a, a couple threes early, but had missed a couple and had some good luck. So we ran a couple plays there for Adam. Um, and then, again, we just didn't have that. What's that other next thing that we could go to? That's kind of what I was talking about in the, in the post games. Uh, you know, Josh was just coming back. Um, David didn't get off to a great start, and Mason had foul trouble. Uh, but then T.J. Beal really got going, and we were doing some things, like good, some good things with him at the five. Uh, so, again, just trying to keep the floor spaced at that point, but we missed opportunities and, and turned the ball over. I know a couple of those times, especially in that four-minute stretch that you mentioned when they hit a three, we had two rebounds right in our hands, and they scored it out, and they hit threes on those two possessions. And those are just huge possessions. Against a team like that, against a good team and on the road, when the ball, the ball is literally in our hands, um, and it squirts out, and then they get two threes. And you, I mean, six points is a lot to, to make up for, especially when you're not executing on that end so we need to do a little bit better job i think maybe not as much depending upon play call and uh, just to go but then you worry too as a coach because then if you don't play call something bad happens now you're saying i should have played called so it's it's both ways and i think again it's just the the maturation and the evolution of our guys and our team of in those moments being able to just play if you will and to still be able to get good quality shots and i think that with the emergence of rob and aquan you know really playing well for him Getting Dylan back here, hopefully in the next couple of weeks as we head into league play, those types of stretches. I think you know, you, there's all these ups and downs. There's lulls in every game. You know, Lipscomb I was watching yesterday was up. I'm sorry, they were down six, seven points to TSU late in the game, and they come back and win. So there's all these ups and downs within a game. Uh, so again, can we make it instead of having a, a, a four-minute lull or a five-minute lull? Because that, can that now only be one to two possessions as opposed to one to two minutes. And I think that's where the margin for us can grow a little bit because our margin is so small right now to where if we go four or five minutes of basketball with nothing positive happening, it's going to be too hard for us to come back from that. And it almost was too much uh, in, that, in that Fort Wayne game in the second half. And so hopefully get everybody back together and get everybody back healthy and get Josh back out there consistently so we have somebody that in those moments we can be like, all right, let's just slow down. Let's get the ball into Josh. Or, hey, you know, this is really working with Rob, or this is really working with TJ. So we being able to cash in on those type of situations a little bit more in those moments to not have a long. We can't go four or five-minute stretches, and that's, of course, what happened against UMKC. We went eight minutes with two points. Uh, and so, again, we, we've got to do a better job. But I, we, did a well, we did well enough offensively. You know, we didn't get to the foul line as much as I, I would have liked. Um, we turned it over just a little bit too much. But defensively out front we just and their bellows really good again downhill they're they're strong guard they played really really well but we did not i was really impressed with his ability to get in the lane i mean i I, when they get into their league play i can't imagine there are many guys that can stay in front of bellow yeah he's very strong and the staff and everybody we're talking about it afterwards he was like a missouri valley type just that the strength and the size and 
uh, the way he's able to get to his spots. I, a lot of times, too, you can face some, sometimes those guys that are like that strong downhill drivers. They can either go only right or only left, you know, and he can go both ways. And so now if, you, if your angles are off, if you're jumping his hip and, and allowing daylight and allowing space like we were, if he gets ahead of steam at you, you're, you're pretty much at his mercy. Uh, and unfortunately, he was getting calls. We weren't getting calls. Uh, but, again, that's the strength and the power and the speed in which he plays. Uh, he forces guys to make uh, make calls, and then he's able to make plays. You know, we talked about it after the game. He had no assists in the first half, and then he ended up with five in the second half. So we made a little adjustment, tipped the cap to him, because then he didn't force things either. He was able to be under control. So that's a, that's a rare combination to be under control, to be strong, to be fast, to be physical at the rim, and to be able to do both and recognize both because we tried to change some things up a little bit. Uh, but he, he made the adjustment as well. So... Um, again, you don't. We don't face too many guys that have that kind of speed and power both ways. Typically, it's okay. This guy can only go left, or he's only going right to make those kinds of plays happen. He was going both ways and in space. Uh, very, very tough for us. Sometimes it is foolish to subscribe to results-oriented thinking. Results-oriented thinking. As a coach on the sideline, you mentioned, boy, should I have not run a play? How much second-guessing goes on in a head coach's mind? Not just yours, but, I mean, you've had in-depth conversations with coaches. How much second-guessing goes on on the sideline during a game, especially a close game, especially a game where you're trying to change the momentum in a basketball game? Yeah, I think there's a lot of more. I don't know if it's as much second-guessing as it is. It's, it's based upon the result. You know, no one ever says – no one ever talks about the follow-up three if they miss the shot at the end of the buster. They only talk about it if they make it. And so you're right. But you can make the right call. Absolutely. It doesn't work, and it's results-oriented thinking to say it was a wrong call. Exactly. And I go back to, for our own scenarios and situations, at Lipscomb, the COVID year, we were up three and we didn't foul. And Jake Wolf, ironically enough, I mean, the ball is barely out of his fingertips, falling out of bounds, and he makes a three to send it to overtime and we lose. But to me, it was the right call. They had to hit a one in ten shot in order to send it to overtime. So, again, you're playing the percentages of, hey, 90% of the time we win this basketball game. So, to me, it was the right call because we played. We did do a good job. We, it was a good defensive possession. The kid just made a shot. You go back to the OVC championship game, you know, Chris makes the first free throw, makes the second free throw. Now you're up one. You know, in that scenario, do you miss it or do you make it? The free throw. And, you know, after the game, you're like. Depends on how much time's on the clock. Yeah, and in that game it was two two seconds left and so it's like well if you haven't practiced those situations and I, i'll be honest with you i haven't really practiced that situation up until that point i mean there's never really been a time that i've even seen that scenario happen of course it's it's happened but not in personally for me so you know now if you do make that decision you tell chris to miss it well chris misses that free throw they get on a break or we foul and we're only up one and now you lose the game on a foul or so all these scenarios again would only be result driven if chris misses that free throw and they make a shot we lose chris made the free throw and they make a shot and we still go to overtime so i'm more so the guy that's going to always believe in minimizing losing is but like when duke missed the free throw against butler on purpose i never would bring losing into the equation and that's just my philosophy you know if they make the free throw you're up three so worst case scenario they got a desperation shot and then you still only go to overtime so we've practiced a lot more of those situations this year just kind of those situations only seem to arise um and then you only have a, a reaction to the result as you said we've practiced those things a lot more this year uh, just because i think it's it's one of those things it's a lot of, you don't think about those things until they happen um, especially those weird scenarios we had another scenario in the big 12 tournament when i was at k-state 
we were up we were up three with I think four or five seconds left but it wasn't we weren't in the double bonus and we got fouled so it was a one and one up three well Barry Brown missed the front end of the one and one up three so it's a broken play there's no timeout there they just get the rebound and now they're going and we didn't foul and they hit a three at the buzzer to send it to overtime. And Coach Trevor's like, well, we should have fouled. It's like, well, that was one of the scenarios we never really practiced. I mean, so there's a lot of those situations and scenarios that you can practice and, again, beat yourself up over if you don't win the game ultimately based upon the result. But a lot of weird scenarios like that that you got to be forward thinking on and, and prepare for and be ready for. So, again, as long as you make what you feel is the right decision for your team at that time, then you have to live with the result. Um, and, again, I think – one other time, probably sitting tell situational stories all day long, but Tennessee Tech at people home. Like the, people like stories like that. So Tennessee Tech at home, uh, the COVID year again, I think. We were up three, and we decided to foul Tennessee Tech. Well, Tennessee Tech came down, uh, and they made both free throws. So now we're only up one, and there was, I think, five or six seconds left. So now if you do make these decisions, you got to think about it. Are you a good rebounding team? Because if you're not a good rebounding team, they miss the free throw and get it back and, and score. You just gave them four points or three points or whatever the situation may be but then also are you good can you you have a good ball handling team you know can you get the ball back inbounds after they make the free throws only up one and then are you a good free throw shooting team if you got a good free throw can you shooting, get the inbounds play to your best free throw you shooting? do you have timeouts left if you get stuck on the inbound and you don't have a timeout now you turn it over so there's all these factors that you got to make in a five second you know um, time frame make that decision so we fouled we fouled tech and another situation, I didn't, again, didn't put it all together, but with foul tech, they make both free throws, so now we're only up one. We get the ball inbound, and we get Jordan Love got fouled. And then they, the ref goes one and one, and I'm like, one and one, we're in a double bonus. We weren't in a double bonus yet. They had one more for that foul, put us in the double bonus. So, again, do you really want to foul up three, put yourself only down, or only up one now, and you're shooting a bonus free throw? Because now if he misses that bonus free throw, again, it's a, bo- it's a broken play, and anything can happen in those situations. With four seconds left, that's a lot of time to be able to get to the rim, and now you just lost the game when all you had to do is close out a possession with a good defensive stand. So, again, a lot of factors that go into that and a lot of decisions that have to be made. Unfortunately, Jordan Love made both free throws to put us back up three, and then we just played it out because I'm like, I'm not doing that again. Um, so a lot of that depends upon that. Even in the NCAA tournament, Kansas State, we were up three uh, to go to the Elite Eight to beat Kentucky. And Coach was like, do you want to foul? And it's just was like, Coach, if we foul, and they had P.J. Washington and Kevin Knox and a bunch of other, uh, Shea Gilchrist, Alexander, I can't even say his name, was like, and we had been getting killed on the boards the whole time. McCall Mayween, one of our center, and Dean Wade, who's now with the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were all fouled out. So we literally had five guys six foot out there on the floor at that time. I think Xavier Sneed had fouled out at the time. So we had everybody with small. I was like, Coach, if we foul, they're getting the offensive rebound. And now we're going to file again, and we ultimately lose the game. So, again, going back to are you a good free throw shooting team? Do you have the right personnel in to get to make free throws? Uh, are you a good rebounding team? There's a lot of things that go into that other than just, oh, foul because we're up three, or don't foul because we're up three. So, Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Love making uh, big free throws, and now he's throwing touchdown passes for the Green Bay Packers. So that's that's big. So what you're saying is – you know, you can have a philosophy about whether or not you foul up three or you don't foul up three. It really depends on the situation, the opponent's strengths, your strengths, your weaknesses. It's not a black and white thing. Okay, I subscribe. You always have to foul. I subscribe. Do not foul. 
I'm not sure I trust my guys. They foul too soon or the guy hits the shot and it's a four-point play. It's not a black-and-white thing, as you just explained. It's not for me. I think some coaches have. I know Coach Bill Self at Kansas. He has a philosophy of he does not foul up three. And I know when I was with Coach Lusk at Missouri State, he got beat by Evansville and Coach Marty Simmons because uh, he didn't foul up three. So then he turned into a I'm fouling on if I'm up three. So I think, again, your situation always de- you know, depends. Personnel, philosophy, all, all changes those things. Um, but, again, I think it also depends upon the opponent a little bit, too. So if we're playing a Belmont team, for example, we're probably going to foul just because they're a great three-point shooting team and then play the long game that way. But if it's a team that maybe doesn't shoot threes well, we may just play that out because, again, the percentages say even a great three-point shooting team is going to miss six out of ten of those shots. Sure. So why bring, you know what I mean, why change your whole game philosophy just, just based upon one situation or one scenario? Defend it the way you've defended it 99% of the time, and then in theory, 77% of the time they're going to miss that shot even if they're a decent three-point shooting team. So you can argue it till you're blue in the face each and every way. Uh, but, again, you never see the clips on social media or Twitter when the team plays it out and they lose because the team missed a three-point shot. You only see it when they make it, and then everyone says, oh, you should have fouled. It's like, well, are we? what kind of percentage That's of that That's immediately what they're going to exactly. say, too. And they may not have any other knowledge about any intricacies. They just are going to say that. And like you said, it all is based upon the result. And – you know, when you are in a position where something has happened that you really haven't practiced and then all of a sudden you draw it up and, the, okay, we have not practiced about fouling at the end of the game, and then suddenly you thrust it on your players right. in a tight spot late in a basketball game, it's kind of like what you said. I brought up B.J. Ward and the fact that he's got this floater that he, he hits it every game. It's I, I'm not sure he's missed one this year. You need to make sure he takes five of those a game. But if you you said the worst time to break it out of, because I asked you, how often does he work on that? And you said he works on it a lot. You said the worst time to break it out is in a game if you have not been working on it. That would be the same thing of a strategy or an end-of-game play that you draw up and you guys have not worked on it at all. You can't have any confidence that it's going to work, and it may not even be fair to your players to thrust it to them. Yeah, exactly. I think you're exactly right on that. And I think every coach practices – like we practice fouling up three. We practice situational basketball. But, again – uh, pressure, but situations or an NCAA tournament bid on the line, you know, do you have the, the the guts or did you have enough confidence in your practice when you practiced it? I'll be very honest with you. This year we've practiced it a couple times and we haven't executed the follow-up three. So I don't know if that's beneficial for our team this year. So, again, if we're in that situation uh, this year and the game's coming up, we may not foul because, again, I don't have the confidence because we haven't done it well enough in practice in order to make that translate to the game when it really really matters you know practice you can stop it you can do it again and we haven't really executed that well so we may not be that team that can do that and so each team is different each situation is different uh, but I, I didn't have the conviction um, to tell Chris to miss that free throw what I probably should have done after he made the first or once we went up one is probably should have called the timeout and then thought about it a little bit more and talked about it a little bit more but again a lot of things going on here sometimes you can analysis by or paralysis by analysis you can psych yourself out a little bit too but i really respect coach pelfrey they didn't have a timeout so i'm almost kind of betting on that maybe they're not prepared for that player that situation themselves and if they're not no big then we're good you know there's no you know harm either way and again i thought in that situation it's like well if i call timeout and give him the clipboard who a guy i really respect across the way 
and I draw something up because he's been a part of Kentucky and home run plays and last second shots and all that. I was like, I'm not going to give him the clipboard. You know, I'll bet on our guys being solid and, and disciplined and we can knock this ball down because, again, that ball got to go the length of the floor. Um, so, again, a lot of situations, do you put a guy on the ball? Do you not put a guy on the ball? Uh, I'm not a big on-the-ball guy because how many times have you seen a play end, unless you've got a true seven-footer who's long and, and gangly, how many times have you seen the ball get knocked down? Nine times out of ten, that ball always gets across half court. So I'd rather have another guy back on the floor because you put a guy up front in a full-court situation, the game now just turned into four-on-four. And so now there's more space for the offense. Well, to me, you know, philosophy-wise, let's put another guy down here and make it four-on-five. Because in those long, those home run type of plays, the inbounder is not a factor. The ball can't go back to him. There's not enough time. So let's put another defender on the in the backcourt to make it four against five and kind of shadow a ball handler or something that you may not want to get the ball. Uh, so, again, a lot of guys are on the ball, guys, and try to get the deflection to start the clock. I don't, to me, and especially if we don't have that true long presence to be on the ball, Let's just add another defender back there, kind of like a free safety in football, if you will, to kind of read the ball. And that's what we tried to have, honestly, against Tennessee Tech. And if Dylan Branson was sitting here, he'd be able to tell you that he, he kind of screwed it up. Um, and that's, again, going back to what you said. If your team isn't prepared, if you don't feel your team is uh, maybe can, not, not prepared, because coaches do prepare for those situations, but if you feel that your team can't execute it maybe in that moment, and I didn't feel that our team executed those last – minute and a half of tech it really shouldn't have came down to that but we were gambling on defense because we just thought we were going to win the game and then they hit two threes which made it a close game so now in that type of a situation i'm not going to say miss the free throw and try to do something even more um, outside of the norm we had already done three possessions of outside the norm which got us in that situation to begin with so let's play this thing as about as vanilla as we can and do what we've done 99 percent of of a hundred 20 practice season of a four-month basketball season. Let's let's go with the sure thing of that. I just saw what uh, SIU's Brian Mullins' philosophy is on that. Uh, that's how the Oklahoma State game ended. There was just fraction time left, and they needed to throw a baseball pass Oklahoma State. He put a guy on the ball, and he deflected it out of bounds, and the clock ran out. So guys are different in that respect. Also, the reason that you would ask And the timing of it. If it's like a .9. Right then now right. you may put that guy. But if it's like a four-second or a three-second. Then you may not. You may, exactly. And when you ask somebody to miss a free throw and you have not worked on that before, first of all, the reason you're missing the free throw is so that they cannot set up and set up that play. Throw the baseball pass. That's why you're missing so they don't have time. It's a scramble mode and they've got a heat. Well, the situation is also uh, if you have not tried to miss a free throw, you have seen it before. Guys have not worked on missing a free throw. You see guys rocket the ball off the backboard. It doesn't touch the rim, and then you're in a spot where that's a dead ball. Correct. They get it out of bounds, and they get to set the play up anyway. You can't just miss the free throw and miss the rim, and unless you've worked on that, I, mean, I bet some guys don't even know the rule. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think Tech is a great example because there's so many things that happened in that game. Uh, we could do a coaching clinic just on that last minute 50. Right. But if so that exact situation happens, we tell Chris to miss and he doesn't hit the rim, well, now that shot beats you. You don't go to overtime. That shot beats you now because it would have been the same scenario. Length of the floor, ball goes over your head, and now the shot beats you because you're only up one at that point. So um, I think guys can miss. And here's the other thing, too. You tell him to miss it, and then what if – I mean, it's not just a guarantee that he's going to miss. He accidentally makes it. 
but you told them to miss it. Now everyone's kind of disarrayed, and you give up a – and again – and I've seen that. I've seen guys try to miss it, and they bank it in. Right. You know? Yeah, in history. Yeah. You know, what? It, you miss it, and now you foul on a rebound not, not knowing. Or you tell them to miss the free throw, and the guys think the game is over, and they don't want to foul, so they get out of the way, and you give a guy who already hit a game winner at third place, and um, Brett Thompson, he just gets it off a miss, and now he gets a free look at half court and drills it. And So, again, let's eliminate all those kind of factors. Yeah, we practiced them. Yeah, we think we're prepared, or it wouldn't be totally – random if we did something hey NSA tournament birth on the line let's go with the most safe the most executable thing for this team in this moment right now and to me that was just to play it out and if, he, if chris misses then he misses but again you don't want to f- panic or frantic your guys minds either and say oh, hey chris missed this and now chris misses it and guys go blank all the time and now a guy you know israel barnes goes in and reaches or something and now we fouled them and they're in the bo- double bonus and we lose on two free throws it's uh-huh. like yeah. You know, let's eliminate any kind of thing that can happen like that. I thought we played it right. Again, the only thing I'd say I go back and look on that second guessing is probably call the timeout and just make him draw something up uh, and, and really put Dylan back. We had talked about putting Adam in the game at that point, too, just because of the length. Uh, but Nate Johnson was so good at, def- you know, defending Tech at home. Keep talking about the same team. But Tech at home, Nate, we switched the ball screen. And they defended it perfectly and contested, and we went in overtime and ended up going into double overtime and beating them last year at our place. Um, so, again, you're trusting Nate, Chris, Phil, all those guys that were on the court at that time. Dylan was supposed to have been the, the free safety, but he ran up and took Brett Thompson. And as soon as the game was over after we got back and we watched the film like Dylan. And I was communicating with Dylan the whole time. You can see it on the sideline. He was supposed to have been back at half court as that free safety. But, again, you, got, you know, their minds go blank sometimes. Um, and then he ran up on Brett Thompson. So then we had two guys up there. I was like, well, Dylan, if we were going to put two guys up there, we might as well put a guy on the ball. You know, there were, the ball couldn't have gone to Brett Thompson for two seconds and dribbled the length of the floor. There, that ball was going over the top. So in that situation, we wanted Dylan at the other end at the top of the key as a free safety. And we, just, again, should have called the timeout, make sure it was really, really set, make or miss, because you do have the lead in that moment. Dylan Branson was in uniform. At Fort Wayne on Saturday night, uh, what's the the story on that? Yeah, he's working his way back. Um, he has a good, everything's good so far. So far, so good. Got to continue to work him back again. We're not going to just rush him back into anything. Did some good work in today. Uh, he looked at me about two, three different times during the game and said, "Come on, put me in." And um, you know that's what you love and appreciate about Dylan. Uh, Dylan is a warrior. Dylan wants to play. And I saw him talking in the huddle during timeouts a few times. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the he's the leader. You know, Quan does a good job of of, of being vocal. Uh, Dylan does it by example and being vocal and being tough. Um, you know, and I just you 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 got to have a guy like Dylan Branson in your program. You know, he's the coach on the floor. He's played the right way as it relates to the court. He's a ball mover. He doesn't. He's not the guy coming up to your office asking, "Hey, what kind of plays you running for me?" He knows how to play, and he's been a winner everywhere he's gone. Eric, from from high school to AAU to college, all that kid has done is win. You know, he's won a championship or won at a high level everywhere he's been. And it's not just because of how many points you score. It's how you play the game. We talked to the guys before the game. Billy Donovan uh, had talked about it at Florida, and then Matt Painter had talked about it before, too, at, at Purdue. It's just the game of basketball. You only got the ball in your hands 5% of the time. You know, what are you doing the 95 other percent of the time? And that's something we talked about the guys. And Dylan is one of those 95% guys. He can do stuff with the ball in his hands. Uh, we really, really miss him, but he's a huge 95% guy. He does so much outside of just when the ball is in his hands, whether that's weak side, whether that's rebounding, whether that's communicating on defense. 
whatever the case may be, there's a big chunk of basketball that people, even people that watch, you know, we try to tell our guys all the time too, hey, your, your girlfriend, your grandma, your mom, your dad, they watch the ball. We watch everything else. And so, again, they're only going to see the, through their eyes, and rightfully so. That's, that's a different kind of love when it's your kid out there playing. Uh, but coaches are looking as the team, and so everything else that's going on. So the basketball piece of it, there's 95% of it, you're, you don't have the ball. So how are you impacting the game? And as a coach, it's like we're watching the 95% of the sure. not the ball, and it's, it's flipped when it comes to an individual and their people that are around them. Interesting you say that, uh, Coach Tomatukowicz. Uh, has a camera, and the camera is only focused on the sideline. That's it. It's not focused on anything but the sideline, and he watches that film to see reactions and to see how guys are responding on the sideline, pouting, exhorting, being a leader, not being a leader, all of those things. Uh, That's what coaches look at, and when you say you're looking at the other 95%, it's kind of in the same family. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we spend a lot of time on that as well. Uh, that we'll go back and watch film, and even when we get back the next day and watch it with the team, there's a lot of times where we freeze it and say, I'll say hey, guys, what do you see here? And they're saying, you know, hey, this is – I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm way over here on the camera. I'm, look at this. And that was something we've talked a lot about. You know, I know it's something when we first got here too, even three years ago, is just focusing a lot on that because that's really your foundation of who you are. Uh, as a program and what you're going to be and how you play and the way you look and the way that you act. And um, that's something a, a lot of coaches focus. And we actually flip it the other way, Eric. We will freeze the, f- the film a lot when the opponent is acting that way. And say, hey, look, is this, do you guys really think that is a connected team? You know, is that a team that you think you can, you can beat on the other 95%? Yeah, they may have a great player. Uh, but uh, can we do the 95% better than them? And then a lot of that is the, the nonverbal, the way that you act, the body language, all those types of things. So we spend a lot of time on that. And I think a lot of coaches and programs probably do because at the end of the day, you're dealing with 18 to 23-year-olds that have a lot going on outside of just that two-hour game. You know, there's a whole lot of factors, family, uh, social, academic. There's a whole another world out there that affects a lot of what happens during that two hours. So, um I think our, our guys have done a good job of that. There's always moments it's a it's a never-ending cycle, though, uh, to try to re- just keep reinforcing that because the reinforcement they get when they're away from us may not be uh, the best, and it's not intentional or bad. Again, it's a lot of what you see. Just if it, just as adults, if you watch the news, it's not probably not going to be a very positive thing. So constantly try and reinforce those things and great habits uh, never changes and never stops. So Dylan Branson was in uniform at Fort Wayne, in the Missouri Baptist game, he was wearing a suit. So was Kobe Clark. There's a story behind that, and we'll talk about it with Coach Brad Korn when we come back. And the emergence of T.J. Beal. How about the game? He had 23 points, 9 rebounds. We'll discuss when the coaches show from Wings Etc. continues after this on SEMO ESPN. Having a joined by head coach Brad Korn. The Red Hawks are idle until Sunday. It's a 3 o'clock game at the Show Me Center against Lindsey Wilson College. That's an NAIA program. Uh, Coach, we talked about uh, Dylan Branson being in uniform. The Missouri Baptist game, he was in a suit. And uh, I saw him when he walked out of the locker room and onto the court, and people kept talking to him. And I'm sure that was the big topic of conversation. Kobe Clark was also in a suit on the sideline. There's a story behind those suits, right? Yeah, we had a um, a pretty – significant gift to our program and 
So you're, you're always thinking of ways how can you better the program and try to get guys out of here with something more than just a basketball game and a win-loss record. So a lot of what we do, uh, of course, you want to get them a degree, you want to get them a championship ring. And a lot of guys have been able to do that now with last year's success. And so when that came in, it's something we've always tried to do. Uh, again, equip them with something more than just a degree and a championship ring and try to give them life tools. So uh, we got that, and then we actually had something. Uh, somebody contacted us, and it was like a pretty good deal to get everybody fitted for a suit. So we got the whole team. Uh, fitted for a suit, which guys like David Idata, Mason Handback, and even smaller guys like Rob Martin. It may be hard to find a, uh, a tailored suit. You know, I don't even have a tailored suit. I, uh, so, so the players got them, but the coaches did not. We did not. No, I, no, we did not uh, get the coaches one. Uh, we talked about it before. Everybody's into the quarters of game now. So, uh, but if you can give a young man a degree, a championship ring, and a suit, uh, you know, you're doing all right. And I think that was something that we can. Another thing that, yeah, it costs a little bit of money on the front end, but, again, what does what is the long-term effect of that? You know, now does, does it give a guy confidence he goes in for that job? Because, again, the ball is going to stop bouncing at some time. At some point you're going to have to go in there, even though the, the world may not think you, that you're going to have to go on interviews anymore or anything like that. Um, even a couple of guys, I know Kobe, when he goes to church, he'll wear a suit sometimes. So, again, those guys are just um, – we needed to feel good at a time that um, – you know, we, we had lost a couple of tough games. We were not playing well. So I think it just, again, going back to Dylan and his leadership, I think he said, hey, let's, let's wear these suits that we got, shoes, belts, tie bar, tie, the whole nine yards. Um, let's just let's feel good about what we're doing. And I think that's where a lot of that came from. To be, so to be able to do that, again, for those guys to have pride in that and, and wear it, and uh, a couple of guys said, hey, this is the best gift I've ever gotten. Uh, that's what it's about, and that's why we did that. And so we appreciate uh, the support because um, that's something we probably couldn't do on our own. You know, and we're fortunate enough to have a smaller group of guys, only 15, uh, to where your costs aren't just so astronomical uh, to be able to do that. And something nice that, again, isn't doesn't break the bank per se, uh, but, again, it can have long-term and lasting effect. Yeah, and Josh Early opted out of the suit game. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he went, he he went with the comfortability factor. Yeah, he had a crew neck, I think, crew neck yeah. sweatshirt off of that game. Uh, but at least it was SEMO. All right, uh, the game of the night. Really, you had two guys that were just terrific. But uh, T.J. Beal stands out, Coach, because it is uh, really his best game of the year. Uh, he played 28 minutes, 34 seconds, 23 points, 9 rebounds uh and only had one turnover in the basketball game uh your thoughts on the breakout performance of tj beal who was eight of 11 from the floor seven of nine from the strike yeah and and real baskets and what i mean by that it wasn't just a fluff run out lay up when you're up 30 or down 30 they they were real hard tough baskets and um we play him. TJ's just one of those guys you can play him all over the place, and he's just continually gotten better. You see Rob Martin just continually get better. Again, TJ didn't play last year in junior college basketball. He's just continually got better, and there's a reason why we were starting him at the beginning of the year because he has those tools and those intangibles that you see now. And I think it helped him moving him to the bench. You know, he didn't do anything wrong, but it just some guys just see the game. It helps them just ease into the game and see it being played first, and then Adam came on with a – a great game at GCU uh, opening night, and so they're great mixes and combinations to one to one another. And, but the beautiful thing about TJ is that you can play him all over the, all over the floor. He has length. Um, he's got a lot of intangibles. He can guard out on the perimeter. He can guard into the post. We played small ball with him, so he gives us a lot of flexibility, a lot of versatility. And I think this can be, you know, he, he had a game like that. You see it coming, but it's nice to have that game against a team like Purdue Fort Wayne. 
you know, it wasn't just, again, it wasn't some fluff game. That was a real hard basketball game, a team that's going to be in contention for their championship all the way to the end. So I think it can be a, a big stepping stone, a big confidence boost uh, for him because there's a, again, he, he allows us to do a lot of different things. And if he's playing with that kind of a motor and, um, it's going to help us as we continue to get better. You can see it, like I said, you can see it with Rob and now TJ to make that kind of jump. I, I think that that's going to be a continual growth and a continual improvement for him. And uh, for him to shoot as well as he did from the free throw line, free throws have been uh, an issue early in the season. Uh, you've been getting better the last few games, especially in this game. You finish at the free throw line um, in the game 14 of 18, 9 of 11 in the second half after not getting to the line much in the first half. Uh, and I think T.J. Beal started one for his last six, or one for his first six from the free throw line. So that's something that he has added to his game. He's gotten better from the stripe. And uh, if he keeps playing like he did the other night, he's going to be shooting a lot of free throws. Yeah, and, and with that versatility, being able to play him, not just that, you know, when he plays the five or the center position for us, he can be on the perimeter. And, and now there's angles and driving lanes available for him to take bigger guys off the block or off the bounce, and then when he's playing a smaller or a four or a three even for us offensively, uh, especially against uh, Fort Wayne, we got him into the mid post and on the block a couple times, and now he's able to, because he has good length, he's got a good skill set down there. Again, he's under control, he's, he's strong. A lot of times he ends up getting a one more or a hockey assist to the corner in our offense, and he's able to rip. He got a lot of those looks at Chattanooga that way and was able to get to the foul line and be able to get, he actually got a dunk as well. Uh, so he has that ability to be able to do a little bit of everything all over the floor, and that's a nice asset to have to be able to be able to shuffle a guy into the post who isn't a post player uh, per se or a true center. A lot of people have plays just for their center. When you can shuffle and post up a four or a three, uh, really helps your offense and, and adds another dimension. And I know you'd like to see a step forward in the post. Josh Early, David Idata, Mason Handback. Uh, they, they didn't account for a lot of – uh, production on uh, Saturday, but the T.J. Beal did. And I know Josh Early has missed a couple of games, just working yeah. his bit way back with a sore hip. Exactly. And, again, David Idata's ninth game, so there's going to be some ups and downs. He had a 12-rebound game the other night. He played well in those exhibitions. Um, so, again, it's, it's a little bit of ups and downs to get, to get some consistency. Uh, but we, we got the ball in great spots uh, for those guys uh, the other night. And, uh, Mason was actually playing really well. He just he picked up three fouls, and then TJ started to play well. So it kind of was one of those games, and that's kind of how our team is going to go. Uh, you don't have to play perfectly in order to stay on the floor, but if another guy is in there playing well at the time and giving us a shot like TJ did, um, he's probably going to get the lion's share of those minutes. So uh, Mason does a lot of good things for us around the rim. Uh, we got the ball in good spots with, with David. We just didn't cash in on those and finish on a couple of those possessions. Uh, but, again, going back to the 95%, you know, we worry so much about the 5%. You know, th there's other things. There's rebounds. I think we combined for one rebound maybe out of that core group. And so it's like there's other – there's rebounds out there. And you still out-rebounded Fort Wayne. There's, there's ball screen defense. There's a whole lot that goes into that. And, again, that's the, the tricky part of getting guys to understand. If you start worrying more about the 95%, you'll be amazed how much that 5% ends up going up and, and being more productive for you. But, again, that – it's just it's constantly trying to reinforce that. Like, hey, if, we, if you do a great job on a, on a ball screen defense or a great job on uh, post defense and you get a rebound, I bet you the next time down the court, if you're in the paint and you're wide open, you're probably going to cash cash in. You're going to convert on that on that play. And, but, again, it's hard. When you, when you get the ball in position and, and things don't happen for you, you just start to wear that anxiety and that stress a little bit more. 
And, again, now being able to flip that to, like, all right, I might have had a bad moment here offensively. Let me go down here on this next 95% and dominate this to give myself some more energy back the other way. And if I get that opportunity again, I'm going to make something happen. Your starting point guard, Rob Martin, uh, didn't get much of a chance at uh, Indiana State. He's a true freshman. They had a veteran backcourt. They're really good again this year. They just beat Southern Indiana by 44 points on Saturday night. But Rob Martin uh, was the 6A player of the year in Missouri when he was at CBC, won a state championship. I mean, this is a high-level guy. He doesn't have the size at 5 feet 10, 160. But, man, the speed and quickness. And now what we're seeing the last several games, and then it, it, it pinnacled with 22 points against a really good Fort Wayne team, we're seeing confidence. Yeah, I, I think it's just a lot of reps. Again, you think about this time a year ago, him and Braxton, you know, how much were they even really doing in practices you know, day to day? So not only did you not play, but how much are you really practicing? Um, as you get later in the season, guys start going about an hour 45. Some guys even go an hour and a half. Some guys even go an hour 10, you know, one hour of practice. So if you're not playing much and not practicing much, you're essentially just kind of sitting on the shelf. So it's – and the other thing with Rob is, unfortunately, he got in a little bit of a – he was injured uh, the summer before he came, so he really only got uh, the tail end of our summer session. And then, unfortunately, he got hurt again and really only got the tail end of our practice season. So – Right now is about where he would have been at if he'd have been with us from the start, you know, if you really think about it, from the practices until the start of games. And um, so to see him have that progression has been really, really nice. And I think early in the season, again, you're dealing with at Grand Canyon, at Butler. He had a nice game against Butler. Uh, Percentages weren't great, but I think he just was trying to prove his worth so much in scoring and not really understanding the game and how guys and how he was going to have success on the offensive end. So it's nice to see him settle in and settle down and, he really settles our team. You know, Adam gets a lot of looks because of Rob. And Rob gets downhill, and he gets in the paint, and he finds Adam and sprays it out to him. And, you know, Adam, as great as Adam is, Adam needs that. You know, we can't run a play for Adam every time down the floor. And then as Adam gets up and up in the scouting report, people are going to be physical with Adam. Adam's not an overly physical guy. And so he, you need, we all need other people to help us offensively. And Rob is a great asset for everybody offensively. So to see him have the offensive output that he's had lately, um, I think he's OVC Newcomer of the Week uh, this week. In he was. Jeff so. Hansa let us know he was just named OVC Newcomer of the Week. Yeah, and Evan Ursher last week was OVC Student Athlete of the Week. Um, so it's, it's those type of awards are nice, and people recognize that. that what, Rob is that one guy, too, wherever you go. If you go back into St. Louis or um, even Indiana State guys, or you see people that were trying to recruit him out of the portal, they always ask, how's Rob? How's Rob? Because he kind of leaves. When you watch him, just the naked eye, you're, like, you're kind of like, yeah, that guy's pretty good at basketball he just knows how to play he plays it in a way that's like a true point guard plays and so rob comes with a heavy as the burden that wears the crown and the point guard position the center position are the two hardest to play and to to have a guy like that that's why he was so important to us and when we got him out of the portal as to now you got you have that guy for three years in theory you know so now you can really build around that if you've got that position to take care of you're going to be in good shape bj ward had one field goal in the game and it was that floater once again, uh, do you mandate B.J. Ward? I need three to five floaters per game because uh, you're shooting them at 95%. Yeah. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but, right. man, that what a what a cool shot that is. And, I mean, there is, it doesn't even touch the rim. It is nothing. But net, and Rob Martin hit one in a, in a game. I mean, your two, your two guards have that. Uh, and it's an, it's an important shot when you're in the lane because that's where the shot blockers live. 
Right. There's an old saying about the closer you get to the rim, the higher you got to jump and the higher the ball's got to go, obviously, to get it over the bigger people. BJ plays with such a great pace and poise. You know, that's the beautiful thing about him and Rob. They're totally different type of players, uh, but both equally effective at what they do. So um, BJ, you, you just always, he just, he's kind of that guy because you see, he just always kind of leaves you wanting more. It's like, come on, BJ, come on, BJ. And um, we had in the, in the end of that first half, uh, there was a moment there he, he turned his back to the defender and they stole it from him and they get a, a pick six layup, a live ball turnover. So uh, some of those things are going to grow. And BJ is going to be one of those guys you're going to look up. I know by the time, probably by this time next year, and even for sure by the time his junior year rolls around, he's one of those guys everyone's going to be like, how is he still there? Uh, just because he's that kind of a player, really knows how to play the game. He's got a really high basketball IQ. And he's able to get to his spots, and that's why he's able to get that floater off because he plays at a pace and a style and a speed that allows him to get to his spots. And um, really, really talented player. If he, we get him to go to another gear here this next month and a half, two months of the season, that's really going to propel him and our team in the future. You know, it's a really cool story about how you got the suits for all of your players. What I think is also a cool story in the Harris-Stowe game, David Idata is from the Netherlands. That's a long way away. You don't hop in a you don't hop in a minivan and make your way to Cape Girardeau from the Netherlands. Uh, his mother was at the Show Me Center to watch him play in the Harris Stowe game. Tell us about that. Yeah, she actually came for both games, so she was there for um, uh, Harris Stowe and uh, Missouri, Baptist. Missouri Baptist. So for her to see two games, she took her kind of her Christmas vacation uh, to see him play two games, which again. I don't care if you're from the Netherlands. I don't care if you're 22 years old. If your mom gets to see you for the first time play live college basketball, that's a pretty unique, pretty special moment. So uh, just a great woman. She came up to the office and brought us some some waffles and some um, some cookies uh, from Holland. And, um, again, it's, it's, it's great, too, just for the locker room. You know what I mean? There's, it's a melting pot. Everyone comes from something different. Uh, and so to just understand, and it's great to reemphasize to our guys, it's like, hey, here's a guy who came from the Netherlands. He just was sitting in his house, and now he's in Cape Girardeau, Missouri because of the game of basketball and in the, in the world and uh, the people that you bring into your locker room and just the melting pot that it can be to learn something from David. Um, and to just hear his mother just be appreciative of the opportunity that he's provided here and education because it's different over there. He has um, the, the, you can't, there's not necessarily college in athletics like it is here. You go to college and you can play. You can get free school and scholarship and D1. There it's either you're going to school or you're playing professional basketball. There's not a combination of both of those things. So that's kind of a. And in his country, he let me know it's soccer. I mean, he said basketball doesn't move the needle. It is soccer over there. Yeah, and he also said that the state of Missouri, I think he said, is bigger than his whole country. So. Uh, just was they were talking about the interstate when she was driving down from St. Louis and just that whole internet or uh, interstate system and uh, so it's kind of unique. He said that if they took two hours to drive from, they would be out of their country. They'd be out of the Netherlands on a two-hour drive, and so it's like two-hour drive from the airport is like kind of a big deal for them. And so that was kind of funny. I was like, well, I went to school five and a half hours away, and it was in the same in the same state of Illinois. Uh, and they're like, oh no, we'd be in three different countries if we drove five hours. Uh, so it just kind of lets you know the density of and how small you know we. Sometimes we just get, all of us, not just Americans, but just in life, you get so wrapped up in your own little uh, world that you don't realize how much different it is for everybody else outside of it as well. And, you know, I only saw her from across the Show Me Center, uh, but I could tell she was tall. You stood next to her. 
Uh, is she six feet? I mean, how tall? She's, she's, she's tall. Yeah. yeah, she's got to be pretty close. To, uh, she's got to be pretty close to that. It, it's a little bit easier for him and her because she's a flight attendant uh, for KLM Airlines, so it's a little bit easier for travel for them, um, not distance-wise, but to be able she to get She might have been flight. able to use her uh, her miles. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so she planned that out and took the vacation, but that's pretty. And she does the international flights, so coming to America isn't necessarily completely uh, new to her, but she's going to major cities, obviously, when they come in Chicago, Houston, Atlanta, New York, uh, things of that nature. So, so you're saying Cape is not a major city? I don't think it's a major city for her to fly into. I don't think one of those big KLM, uh, whatever they are, 757s or jumbo jets, whatever they're called, I don't think those are. I haven't seen one fly overhead here too recently. All right. Uh, so what are you doing between now and Sunday? You don't play until Sunday. And, uh, oh, by the way, you've got a three-game winning streak at the Show Me Center. Yeah, it's um, um good week for us. It's finals week. Uh, for all, Which is why we don't have a player here, let everybody right, know. Yeah. Right, finals week uh, for them. So it's a good – we'll break up the week this week. You know, we'll kind of get some individual attention in. We'll take an extra day off throughout the week. Uh, we'll be off again tomorrow. Uh, and then get, go back to some more individuals. And then we still have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of a good solid practice week. Uh, again, because you're never finished. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're undefeated or if, who you're playing. If you're playing Lindsey Wilson, if you're playing Duke, you're, you're practicing to get yourself better and to stay sharp and – uh, we need to have it. We've had a, a pretty good December uh, to this point, and that's been something we've talked to a lot of the guys. Once we turned that November page, it was like, hey, let's focus on December. November did not go how we wanted it to, uh, but I, even after the game against Fort Wayne, I, I think we're, we're I think we're really, really close, Eric. I really do. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're just going to go win your next ten games either, uh, but I know we're better than what our record says, but at the end of the day, you, you are what your record says. So, but I think we're close, but you're also so far away, and that's sport, that's athletics. You know, you look at, uh, you look at football. You know, for example, it's like just winning is hard, and you can't, you're not going to just show up and win. So you're going to continue to get yourself better, continue to hone in and focus on your weaknesses this week, and shore those up while still staying sharp in the strengths that you do have. And uh, getting Dylan back is going to be a huge lift, not just from a practice standpoint, but just a leadership and just an experienced player. Again, we start four sophomores. This isn't the type of year that you want to be starting for sophomores. The whole college basketball, all of college athletics is super, super old right now with the COVID year in the portal. And so you're talking about sophomores, and not just sophomores, but Rob Martin, we touched on Braxton Stacker, David Idata, TJ Beal. Those guys have not played college basketball yet. So they're only 10 games in, really, to their career. Uh, so they may be sophomores, but they're really kind of playing as freshmen right now. And to see their growth and the way that we've been playing these last couple of weeks has been very encouraging. So continue to have another great week of prep and work. And our guys, have pra- we have practiced better than we've played in some games, which is kind of backwards. It's normally the other way around. Uh, so, again, I, I, that keeps me believing as a coach that, one, we're doing the right things. we got the right kind of guys and that it is going to pay off at some point here. But we've got to continue to put in the work. It's just because we did it on the front. It doesn't mean it's going to carry us through the back end. We've got to continue to, to push through and get better. You know, for those who uh, who did not hear you explain it, uh, you did not want to play four non-Division one teams this year. But because yeah. they are expanding conference play, and when you put your schedule together, you thought they might, but you didn't know – that's why there are four division or non-division one teams. You didn't want to enter into a to a home and home, and that really affects scheduling. So you play back-to-back non-division ones, and some will say, "What do you get out of playing a team that's not division one?" Is it a coincidence you played by far your best game of the year after you beat these two non-D ones? Yeah, and some of it is just getting back home. You know, it's hard for us to get home games in the time frames in which we need home games. Uh, but it does. It builds confidence. 
you need to have some some affirmation uh, to what you're doing to keep guys believing and feeling good about themselves. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to go do it. And so to see our guys do that and have success, uh, absolutely, I think it helps that. We went through the rough part, but I think our guys' attitudes were good too. And um, I know that we can show up and beat Mobap and, and uh, Harris, though. Uh, but, you know, do it's hard because you want to challenge yourself. But at the same time, you still got to have some confidence in there. And, uh, you know, no one talks about it when Butler plays us. Butler just plays us and beats us by whatever because they're Butler. But as soon as we play a non-D1, it's like, oh, my God, why are you playing a non-D1? So it's, it, it goes both ways. You know, water finds its level. and so. But I think a lot of it is, is the confidence. Uh, you, need to, you need to see some things happen. And that's why I was so encouraged after MoBap, even though it was MoBap and they're a good program and he does a great job. Um, making free throws, getting to the foul line, not turning it over. That part is still basketball. I don't care who you're playing. And so if you're a bad team or you have bad players, you'd turn it over 20 times but still win the game. You'd maybe not get to the foul line or have a great game from the three-point line, and that's why you won. And we played basketball the right way. We played well in all facets. And to your point, Eric, you saw that carry over to Fort Wayne. So hopefully, again, Sunday and then Thursday is a huge game at Illinois State, the 21st, and um, a winnable game, another tough battle, and that's, again, should be a good month of December for us heading into league play after Christmas. Five of the seven games in December at the Show Me Center. Three o'clock Sunday. That'll be the next game. Coach, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much for your time today. Okay, you got it. Thank you. That is the Red Hawks head coach, Brad Korn. That will do it for us here from Wings at Center. We'll be back here at the Cape location next Monday. Thanks to Mike Rennick and Rachel Cook, our uh, River Radio engineers on site. Uh, thanks to Jeff Hanza for all he does for Red Hawks Athletics as well, and thanks to the Red Hawks head coach. Stay tuned, ESPN Radio coming up. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. So long from the Coaches Show at Wings.